0: This is The Guardian. Today.
1: Cramped conditions, fire safety concerns, Legionella. Is the government's barge idea sinking?
2: Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier.
1: Stopping the boats, which is to say stopping asylum seekers crossing the channel to get to the UK, has become a catchphrase for Rishi Sunak.
3: And that's why one of our five pledges to the British people is to stop the boats. To stop small boats. To stop the boats. Stop the boats. To help us stop the boats.
1: The Prime Minister has hailed it as one of his five priorities since taking office. Ironically, One of his solutions to stopping small boats has been to put a group of asylum seekers on one giant boat, the Bibby Stockholm.
4: At first light, weeks late, the Bibby Stockholm was finally pulled into port. The controversial barge will soon be home to 500 asylum seekers, part of the government's plan to reduce the £6 million daily hotel bill for migrants.
1: Protesters have claimed the barge is inhumane and out of step with British values. But the Conservative Party's Lee Anderson saw it differently. And his party backed him. Uh, Do you agree with what Lee Anderson says? Should illegal migrants F off back to France?
3: Well, look, we all choose our own language. But what Lee was expressing was the deep...
1: Last week, just 39 asylum seekers had been processed and sent to live on board the barge. And then, within days they were taken off again.
3: The government has confirmed that all 39 asylum seekers housed on the Bibby Stockholm barge have been taken off the vessel. That's because traces of Legionella bacteria were found in its water supply.
1: The barge now stands deserted. But after dominating the headlines for weeks, is it still a win for the government? From The Guardian, I'm Noshine Iqbal. Today in Focus, the saga of the Bibi Stockholm and what it tells us about the Conservatives' election strategy. Daniel Trilling, you're the author of Lights in the Distance, Exile and Refuge at the Borders of Europe. And we've spoken before about the Home Office and this government's attempts to tackle migration. What can you tell me about that story now? What's been happening in the last couple of weeks?
5: So over the last few weeks and months, really, the government's been launching a series of hardline sounding measures aimed at asylum seekers. So at the moment, there's a big backlog of asylum cases in the system that aren't getting processed. And as a result, more and more people are being accommodated while they wait for their claims to be heard. At the same time, In the last few days, the Home Office has announced various kinds of crackdowns aimed at combating what it calls illegal migration. They've got some measures aimed at rogue lawyers who are giving unethical or illegal immigration advice to clients. Today, the government
3: vowed to clamp down on, quote, crooked immigration lawyers offering to submit false asylum claims for a fee. This is about going after that small minority of lawyers who act illegally. In other words, who misuse that professional
5: qualification. They say there are going to be tougher penalties for landlords or employers who rent to or employ people who haven't got proper immigration status. And then the thing that's occupying everyone's attention this week is that as part of the effort to move people out of hotels, the government has opened this large accommodation barge called the Bibi Stockholm, which is being moored at Portland Port in Dorset
3: when in the distance, beyond this section of the Jurassic Coast, it appeared. A hulking great floating accommodation block, from perhaps the brutalist school of maritime architecture. Heading for the shelter of Weymouth Bay, but utterly exposed to the political storm it will surely have to weather.
5: I think the government was saying initially it would be about 50 men. So at the moment they're they're saying that only men are going to be housed on the barge. I think a dozen actually arrived and then there was a larger group of people who the Home Office was trying to move on to the barge but were either refusing to go or were having legal representations made on their behalf by refugee charities.
1: So can you tell me a bit more about this barge? What was it originally used for?
5: So the barge was built at some time in the 1970s, but since the 1990s, it's been used for various accommodation purposes. It's Dutch. In its lifespan, it's been accommodation for homeless people in Hamburg. The Dutch government used it to house asylum seekers in the early 2000s. So
1: it has been used for that purpose So it's been used for that
5: purpose before. When the barge was used in the Netherlands, it was moored in Rotterdam to house asylum seekers in around 2005. And there were lots of criticisms from refugee charities at the time and human rights advocates and residents of the barges also protested at their treatment. You know, they they went on hunger strike. And I think the key issues really if people are put in large scale accommodation, even if in theory they're free to come and go, it can feel quite institutional and quite like a prison to people and this this is actually a very common risk for asylum seekers because if you think about who those people are you know refugees who have fled violence and persecution they will have been through very often very traumatic journeys they're very likely to have been detained or even tortured at points in their journey or in the countries that they have fled so Forms of accommodation that remind people of those situations can very often trigger mental illness or compound trauma that people are already suffering. In the Netherlands, when these barges were used, that was the case.
1: So how many people are the government planning to house on this barge?
5: At the moment, its capacity has been extended to house 500 asylum seekers. But really, previously, its capacity has been about half that. So what they've done is essentially doubled up space. So all of the rooms are going to be shared.
1: So bunk beds.
5: Bunk beds. I think the rule is that each room has at least got two beds as bunks, but that implies it may well be more people to a room than just two.
1: Has this ever been tried before in the UK?
5: Actually, it has been tried before. So in the mid-1980s, the Thatcher government decided to try housing a group of asylum seekers on a ferry that was uh, moored at the port of Harwich.
4: On a British vessel moored at an East Anglian port, some of the Tamils who have fled from the fighting in Sri Lanka are waiting for permission to stay in Britain as refugees. 34 of them are detained in Harwich on board the former cross-channel ferry Earl William. Most have been there for months and one's been a detainee for a year.
5: I think it was just several dozen people. They were mainly uh, Tamil asylum seekers from Sri Lanka. The Home Office was widely criticised for doing so. There were protests against it and eventually they gave up.
1: So it's not without controversy, and this barge, the BBC Stockholm, arrived in Portland, as you say, a few weeks ago. To this build-up of headlines. Hotels,
4: Why has the BBC BB Stockholm wrong? been such a, t- a shambles?
3: It hasn't. Would you, no, it
1: hasn't. Like, actually, well, the they, first, they first were, of were
4: all, they due to go on yesterday, Prime Minister. Then uh, uh, probably uh, till uh, next week. I think look, the point
3: here is not is it is it next week? Is it yesterday? The fact is, this is an example of me doing something different that hasn't been done before because I want but to relieve the pressure. Yet. Yeah, well, it, it, it is in the process of
5: being done.
1: Initially. People were delayed getting on. Why was that?
5: You know, Britain's a country of laws. We have human rights laws here. We've got fire safety, health and safety laws and the rest of it. The delays were over fire safety checks, for instance. And the Fire Brigades Union, the FBU, criticised the barge as a potential death trap because 500 people are going to be accommodated on a barge with just 222 cabins. The corridors on board are very narrow and there are just two main exits, Also, a group of local councillors visited the barge a couple of weeks ago and they were told that there are no life jackets on board and also expressed concerns that locked gates could cause a crush during an emergency.
1: And then, of course, there were very serious health concerns.
4: Some breaking news to bring you. And just four days after the first asylum seekers boarded the controversial migrant barge, the Bibby Stockholm, They've been taken off again after the bacteria that causes Legionnaire's disease was found in the water there.
6: I'm Sapna. I'm one of the GPs that had been recently working on the barge boat in Portland.
1: So Sapna, you've been working on the BB Stockholm barge for the last couple of weeks. You've actually been inside it. Can you tell us what it's like? It's a very very large boat. There's a centre courtyard and
6: surrounding cabins and inside each cabin is probably between four to six bunk beds. It's very neutral inside, clean interior and feels or kind of reminds me a bit of like a basic hostel that I've been to when whenever I've been travelling.
1: And you were there on Friday when news broke that potentially deadly bacteria Legionella was discovered in the water system of the barge. Can you talk me through what happened that day? So I turned up at work
6: and had been informed of, you know, the samples had been taken before, and I want to stress this, before the residents and crew had come on board over the last couple of weeks. And I'm not sure whether the samples had been retaken from them, but the bacteria had been cultured or found on those samples, you know, used that information to try and work out the type of people I needed to screen for lesionellas. So I saw probably around... 11 to 15 patients at that time and uh, that did include someone unfortunately who had fallen sick in the crew member but unrelated to Legionnaire's disease.
1: What exactly is Legionella and why is it so dangerous? So Legionnaire's disease is a bacteria that essentially thrives
6: in warm salt-free water. It's very common, it can occur in the UK. Worst case scenario it will cause something called Legionnaire's pneumonia Uh, making you feel quite unwell and does require quite strong antibiotics. Legionnaires can be prevented. And I think any time someone goes into a stagnating water system, the idea is to sort of flush out that water system to ensure that there is a free flow of good water that's filtering through.
1: And in your experience of treating asylum seekers, um, both on the barge and off it, I wonder if you could tell me if there's any sort of particular or common experience health-wise that they have or seem to present?
6: Yeah, so mostly and understandably, a lot of these patients are troubled by their current social situation, they're struggling with uncertainty, a lot of it is negative media as well, and feelings of loss for their family back at home. And it does sort of stretch into developing symptoms of low mood and anxiety.
1: I mean I guess they're just regular young men trying to live their lives. Yeah,
6: of course these patients are the same as me and you with their all their own normal health concerns and worries and stresses and it's really sad because a lot of them just want to maintain a level of routine and structure to their day and also find work. And often when I ask them, you know, what what are your skills? What do you what do you want to do? And they say anything, <laughs> I'll do anything just to work here and build a life and build a foundation where I can think about my future. And I think with this level of hesitancy, they're unable to sort of see a future for themselves and they feel a bit stuck.
1: Dan, when news came on Friday that Legionella bacteria had been found in the water, asylum seekers and crew members had to be moved off the barge what happened?
5: So testing for the presence of Legionella bacteria was one of the health and safety checks that had to be done to make sure that the barge was suitable to use for housing people. And it's not clear yet who knew what and when, but Dorset Council has said to The Guardian that it actually raised the alarm about Legionella with the Home Office contractors running the barge on the same day that it received the test results.
1: So the council is saying that Home office contractors knew about Legionella in the barges water supply on Monday the 7th of August, which is the day asylum seekers started arriving. But it took until Friday to evacuate. What does it say about how this policy looks for the government?
4: Don't you think that feels like
3: quite a long
5: time, though?
4: Well, as I say, this is a a home office lead, but I know home office uh, ministers were notified. You know
5: how dangerous Legionella is if somebody, if a Home Office contractor knew on Monday night, do you think it's too long for then a minister to hear on Thursday?
4: Well, I I, I absolutely recognise that it it can be dangerous. And that's why as a precautionary measure, uh, people were moved off the bar.
5: Well, I think it, it makes this whole policy look even more chaotic and poorly planned than it had done already. You know, we're waiting to find out who knew what, when. So ministers are saying that they only heard about the Legionella bacteria later. So there's a question of, well, when did the Home Office know? How was that communicated? And so on. But I think you have to see this in the wider context, which was that there's clearly been a lot of pressure to get this barge up and running as soon as possible, you know, for political reasons, so the government could make it part of its array of announcements on asylum. And I think the bottom line is this this wasn't really planned carefully enough and preparations weren't done. And so the plan is now coming apart.
1: Dan, how does the government justify putting people on this 90 metre long, almost 50 year old, 11,000 tonne vessel that the Fire Brigade Union have called a potential death trap, but is expected to bunk about 500 people together?
5: So the government is saying that it's costing too much money to house asylum seekers in hotels at the scale they're doing right now
3: we've got to reduce the pressure on hotels and communities up and down the country and that means we need to find alternative sites and including barges like the one we've brought brought forward today that's going to save the taxpayer money reduce pressure on hotels and it's part of our broader
5: plan to stop and that it wants to move to what it calls basic and functional accommodation and that's for two reasons one is cost so i think at the moment the cost of accommodating asylum seekers in hotels is around £6 million a day. And the other is that they are worried that putting people up in hotels looks like a form of luxury treatment. And Sarah Dines, the Home Office Minister, actually said recently that moving people to the barge would send what she called a forceful message.
6: That there will be proper accommodation but not luxurious um, luxurious hotel accommodation has been part of the pull i'm afraid there have been promises made abroad by the organized criminal gangs and they say you'll be staying in a very nice hotel in the middle of a town in england that needs to stop and the barge is just one of a, a wide range of other measures
5: so it's not just the barge that the government is trying to launch at the moment, but it's trying to repurpose former military sites around mm. the UK to um, house asylum seekers in in camp-like accommodation.
1: Well, how have refugee charities responded to these plans?
5: So refugee charities have been very critical of the plans to move people onto the barge. I think that's for a couple of reasons. One is that this is part of this wider set of policies being rolled out by the government at the moment where the, the top line really is we are punishing asylum seekers for daring to come to the UK without our permission. And then charities also object because the nature of the barge itself is not really appropriate for the people that the government is aiming to house there.
1: Sammy Gedsoiler, you've been reporting from the Port of Portland in Dorset. Can you describe the area where the BB Stockholm has been docked?
3: So Portland is quite a deprived area. It's one of the most deprived areas on the south coast. And it's also home to two prisons and was also home to a prison ship. So the government housing people who are detained in Portland is nothing new.
1: Sammy, what's the response been like from the local community?
3: I would say uniformly it's been very against the barge. However, the reasons that the community has seems to be quite divided.
1: So the irony is that the town is united in the fact that no one wants the barge to be there. But the difference is that some are saying it's for humanitarian reasons and others just don't like the idea of asylum seekers.
3: Exactly. Do you live in Portland? Yes. What, what's the um, feeling in Portland towards this? this um, oh,
1: it is of... It's so incredibly divisive. We are such a deprived and poor area. There's not enough jobs, there's a high reliance on food banks and there's just real anger from local people. There's a lot of people that are anti-asylum seekers. The far right have really been trying to mobilise here which have been, has been really scary. Um, until this happened I never knew this world existed. I... Um and there are also people that do want to support and welcome them. And I would say it is a 50-50 divide. But when I was getting donations from the welcome packs, people were coming to my house and saying, please don't tell anyone I'm bringing donations because they were scared of the hate they were going to receive, which there has been a lot of. And what about local councillors? What have they been saying about the project and what their views are on how and why the BB Stockholm has arrived in their town?
3: I think the councillors are uniformly against the barge being placed in the town, especially without any consultation. There's a feeling amongst local residents and councillors that it's just been um, placed upon them.
4: I I think the feeling in the town was exacerbated by the fact there was no consultation. We didn't know the day, we only knew the day when suddenly people started seeing this floating thing coming towards us. I think the opposition to the barge isn't... In respect of the asylum seekers, it's in respect of the infrastructure. There is also a more vociferous group of people who who are just saying no, no asylum seekers here, and a lot of them aren't from Portland at all. In fact, a lot of a lot of the spokespeople are not from Portland. And what's the feeling towards the government? The general feeling, anybody who wants to dis- who discusses it says. They see the barge as a gimmick and they are attempting to create a a diversion so people look away from what they've done.
1: Dan, what does the refugee, asylum and migrant backlog look like at the moment and how many people are stuck in the system?
5: So at the moment, there is what's being described as a record backlog of asylum cases. So each individual who comes to Britain to claim asylum has got the right to make a claim and to have that claim assessed, you know, fairly and on an individual basis. That's a bureaucratic task. Historically, the Home Office has always done that on a bit of a shoestring. And backlogs can arise. At the moment, the asylum backlog, depending on how you count it, is around... 100,000 cases. So that's probably more than it's been since at least the the early 2000s, end of the 90s. But the solutions that the government is currently proposing to the asylum backlog are all pretty much designed to make it worse, even if that's not their intention.
1: It's definitely not their desire, is it?
5: Well, it's interesting question as to what outcome they actually want from all of this, because the policies seem intended to just exacerbate the situation, create more bottlenecks, produce larger numbers of people being accommodated or detained and so on. The easiest way to ease the backlog, which would in turn ease the pressure on any form of accommodation, would be to process people's asylum claims quickly and efficiently and fairly.
1: And let them live and work independently and pay taxes and all the rest of it.
5: Exactly, because once somebody's asylum claim has been heard and a decision has been reached, if their case is accepted then they're allowed to move on with their lives and, and become part of society in a in a fuller sense. And if you look at the statistics about who's crossing the channel at the moment, for instance, and the in Refugee Council estimate that around 95% of people who cross the channel in boats are asylum seekers and the vast majority of those asylum seekers are people whose claims will be accepted. So on the face of it, it seems simple and logical that the quicker you can move people through the system, the less pressure there is on the system.
1: Dan, is it going to make... Any dent in the number of people waiting to have their claims processed?
5: Putting people up on barges won't make a difference whatsoever to the backlog of asylum claims. What will deal with that is putting more resources into processing people's cases. And the government promises that it's doing things to tackle the backlog, but there hasn't been really any movement. And also the, the new rules that they're bringing in introduce more obstacles and therefore more bureaucracy into the system. So the Illegal Migration Act, which was passed this summer, makes people's asylum claims inadmissible. It effectively bans people who arrive in the UK without permission from claiming asylum.
3: Today we are introducing legislation to make clear that if you come here illegally, you can't claim asylum and you can't stay. We will detain those who come here illegally and then remove them in weeks, either to their own country, if it is safe to do so, or to a safe third country like Rwanda.
5: But at the moment, the government hasn't got that third safe country because... Rwanda, its destination of choice was ruled unsafe by the appeal court a few months ago. So what that means is a growing number of people who the government is trying to stop from claiming asylum at all in the UK, but they're here in the UK. And therefore, the government still has to look after those people in one way or another, whether that's detaining them or letting them live freely or so on. So it's, it's creating an ever-growing number of people who the state is deliberately trying to hold in this kind of limbo. And the government doesn't seem to be doing anything really substantial to, to deal with that.
1: Coming up. The Bibby Stockholm has been widely criticised and faces further delays. But would the government see it as a failure? So in practical terms, for all the noise that it has created, the BB Stockholm plan will have barely any impact on the numbers of people being processed in Britain's refugee and asylum system. But having listened to various government ministers giving interviews in the last week, it's clear that this is really about political messaging. And so, I wonder, does the BB Stockholm serve more effectively, as in the government's own words, as a forceful message rather than as a genuine solution?
5: I think the messaging and the symbolism is is the thing that's foremost in the minds of the government with policies like this. First of all, because it's an easy way of responding to criticism from the right that you're not doing enough to tackle asylum-seeking or, as they call it, illegal migration. But the other reason which I think is more politically useful to the government is that if you think about particularly the, the Boris Johnson government that was elected in 2019, a huge part of their... Political appeal was this narrative that we're here to carry out the will of the British people. For the Johnson government at that point, it was getting Brexit done, as he put it, and that was hugely electorally powerful for the Conservatives at that point. And I think since Brexit was done, they've struggled to find a subject that that fills that same role. And I think given that they're in such terrible trouble on economic issues and more or less everything else. Increasingly, I think the government have decided to stake everything on illegal immigration, as they call it, as the issue that will sort of give them that energy, allow them to paint their opponents as liberal elite people standing on the sidelines trying to frustrate everything the government is doing to achieve the will of the people and so on.
3: Mr Speaker, and he even argued against deportation flights. Well, and we know why, because on this matter, he talked about his legal background. He's just another lefty lawyer standing in our way.
1: Where is the clamour for this coming from? What does the polling suggest that British people are actually crying out for?
5: Well, I think polling on migration is quite complex because it also depends on how the questions are asked. But Broadly speaking, you know, you get a chunk of society that is very pro-immigration in all senses without reservations, a chunk on the other side that is quite hostile to immigration, but probably the majority of people sit somewhere in the middle. Where worries and fears arise is where people feel that immigration is not being controlled. So what control is is obviously a topic we could spend ages discussing, but I think the asylum system is a very good example of that. And it's also a good example of how the appearance of a loss of control can actually be the government's own fault. Now,
3: migrants who continue to make the perilous crossing to the UK on small boats could be transported more than 4,000 miles away to the remote Ascension Island. That's if it loses its legal battle to fly them to Rwanda in Africa.
1: Well, another policy that was floated in the press and then later denied was the idea of sending asylum seekers to Ascension Island. Now, I I genuinely had to look it up. It's 4,000 miles from the UK. It's a tiny island with a hot desert climate, east of Brazil, west of Angola, in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. Do you think that was ever a serious prospect?
5: I think it is a serious prospect. I think if you look at what the government's been doing the last couple of years, they, they genuinely want to set up a mechanism by which they can send asylum seekers to some sort of remote or off-putting location. That's what the whole Rwanda policy was about. But the Ascension Island announcement, I think, is their one of their kinds of plan Bs. But given how seriously they tried to make the Rwanda deportations happen, I think we should take them at their word when they talk about other places. However, just like the barge, I would have thought if they ever do end up sending people to somewhere like Ascension Island, it will be... A symbolic number of people. You know, it will all be about what this looks like to everybody else, rather than about the asylum system as a whole.
1: Well, coming on to what it looks like, we are, of course, about a year away from a general election. Tough talk on migration, arguably stirring up division. Do you get the sense that the Conservatives think these policies will be vote winners?
5: I think they, they do think they'll be vote winners. I'm sceptical of how much that will be the case. But it will appeal to a certain section of the electorate. And I think just as importantly, it's a of forcing Labour onto their territory, because the more that you've got the Labour Party talking about what it would or wouldn't do about asylum seeking, the less you've got the Labour Party talking about what a complete mess the Conservatives have made of the economy, or of the housing crisis, or any one of a number of other things that, that we could be spending more time talking about.
1: So it's setting up a series of political traps. I mean, if Labour are to gain power next year, do we know what their policy might be to solving the backlog problem?
5: Well, it's hard to tell with Labour because they have changed their policies quite a lot. At the moment, what they're saying essentially is that they will just deal with the backlog quickly and more efficiently. I think they've been saying, you know, within the first six months, we're going to get a grip on asylum claims. However, what I I have noticed is that they, you know, in line with their strategy more widely, which is to sort of not give the Tories an inch to the right of them at the moment, they are increasingly sort of cleaving to the conservative rhetoric on this issue, particularly if you compare it with Labour a few years ago when they were much more markedly saying we want a much more humanitarian alternative to the current policies on asylum and immigration and so on. But on the other hand, it's just very hard to tell with Labour at the moment what they actually want to do. You know, how much of this is just making sure there's no weaknesses that the Daily Mail can exploit and how much do they have a plan? Well, it'd be nice to hear that at some point, but I think so far we we haven't heard that.
1: Dan, thank you so much. You're welcome. That was Daniel Trilling, author of Lights in the Distance, which is out now. My thanks to him and to Guardian reporter Sammy gedge Soiler and Dr. Sapna Morkin for talking to us. To read more about this story, including Sammy's reporting from Portland in Dorset, do search for Stockholm at theguardian.com. That's it for today. I'm Nosheen and this episode was produced by Tom Glasser. Sound design is by Rudy Zagadlo, and the executive producer was Elizabeth Cassin. We'll be back again tomorrow.